Thank you, Belinda, for reading for us. And uh, welcome, welcome to our Baptism Sunday. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. How good were those videos? Like, like that's what it's about, right? Like, this is, this is the work of God in individuals sharing how God's been at work. Uh, hugely exciting. Welcome to our Baptism Sunday. Uh, every year what we do at this church is we take three weeks aside uh, to have what we call our Building Hope series. It's just to take three weeks aside to think about, uh, you know, what is it to be someone who's following Jesus, but also what, what is God doing uh, in our midst here, in our church? How can we get on board with God's vision? That's what our three weeks uh, series is about. And today is our Baptism uh, Sunday. And today is hugely exciting because... People becoming followers of Jesus, like we heard in those videos, and, and confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's what it's all about. That, that's the main thing. That's the most exciting thing. We heard it last week. God's vision, what God is on about in his world, is to see more and more people become like Jesus, his son, and for those people to become more and more like Jesus in every way. That's what we saw last week. To the praise of God's glory. And that's what we are witnessing today. It's just that. It's people who have decided to follow Jesus. And more than that, we are witnessing today a group of people who found life because they've decided to follow Jesus. Again, it's really, it's really hard to express in words how life-changing that decision is. Uh, in one sense, I can't express it in the words on behalf of the people who've made that decision. I've got my own words uh, in how God's been at work in my life. But those testimonies, they're the words. The, again, words are hard to express how, how much life changes when you become a follower of Jesus. The moment our baptizees decided to follow Jesus, they began a new life. They actually began what is truly life. And uh, that, that might sound a bit drastic and over the top. You know, preacher dudes, they like to stand up here and use hyperbole and, and go, go over the top. But that, that's actually the claim that Jesus makes. Jesus says, if you want to find life, if you want to have true life, understand what life actually is, then follow me. Which is a really bold claim. If you flip that, flip that on its head, if, if the flip side of, that, of Jesus' claim is, if you don't follow me, if you don't follow Jesus, then you don't have life. And you actually lose life. And you don't know what life actually is. Which is more than just... A bold claim, but perhaps an offensive claim. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to decide for me is to decide for life itself. And isn't this thing, uh, this thing we kind of call life a funny old thing? We don't often stop to think about uh, life because we're often too busy living it. We're, we're, we're too often in it to stop to think about it. Uh, but, but what do you actually think it's about? I know, I know that's a trite question. That's a cliche question. But it's a really important one nonetheless. What do you think life is about? Because our baptizees, they've decided what they think life is about. It's about Jesus. But what do you think life is about? Or what would you say people live for? So as you, you know, look around uh, at people around you and, and, and you observe their life, you observe their, their movements and their actions and their comings and goings, what do you think people live for? Uh, what is it that you think life is about for people? As you look at our world, perhaps... You would say it's about family. You know, people live for their families. They live for the financial security of their families, uh, for the prosperity of their family. It's like the plot line of pretty much every second action movie. You know, the action hero always acts for the sake of the family. If you've seen the Fast and Furious movies, every second word out of Vin Diesel's mouth is, you know, family, you know, the whole time. 
Or maybe for you it's career. Or as you look around at people around you, you think, well, they, they, they live for career. That's what makes up a person's life. That, that actually their life is about their job. They find their purpose and their identity in their profession. So, so who they work for is, is closely related to who they are, uh, unless they work for Optus, which then they might deny their allegiance, at least for this week. Sorry if you work for Optus, maybe too soon. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a hobby or a sport, you know, those trophies at home that people live for. Maybe it's, maybe it's just experience in general. People love to live for experience, whatever they can experience in life. So life's about holidays and adventures. Uh, life's about the food. You know, how good is the food? The more food you can eat, that's a great way to live life, eating. And according to research, that is mostly right. If the average westernized person, people like us, we live in Sydney, we're the average westernized person in Sydney, if we were to live to 80 years old, then on average, if we live to 80 years old, on average, we spend 13 years of those 80 lives at work. So we do, in a sense, live for career. And we'd spend, of those 80 years, we'd spend four and a half years just eating, four and a half non-stop eating, which I think sounds pretty good, depending what sort of food you're eating. Or concerningly, we, we spend 12 years on average on screens. 12 years of our lives on screens, watching TV, on our phones, on our computers. That doesn't include your work computer screen. Just screen for leisure, for experiencing the screen. And lastly, if all that doesn't sound big enough, there's, there's more things in that list, but we spend on average 33 years of our 80 years doing what? Sleeping, that's right, which is, I think that's kind of nice. But, but is that it? So these, these are the, you know, this is, this is the stuff of research up on the screen. Thanks, Jacob. That, that, that's kind of our, you know, westernized Sydney life on average, and is that it? Like, is, is that what life is? Are those averages all we can expect of our lives? Is that what we're destined for in our life? I mean, research says that's about it. And sure, how we experience those, those averages uh, will be different for each one of us. For some of you, you might really enjoy those averages. Think, hey, life is great. I do that stuff. It sounds pretty good to me. I enjoy that. For others of us, we might think of our life and reflect on our life. And actually, those averages of life, it's a daily grind. Uh, you know, 12 years on screens, it's not for pleasure. It's escapism. 13 years at work, well, that's not for pleasure, it's because I have to, I have to feed my family. Maybe for you it's a daily grind, a monotonous grind, maybe a depressing grind. Perhaps for, for a lot of us, it's a mix of both, you know, sometimes those averages, they're great as we live them out, sometimes, well, they're not so great, not so good. You see, we get so busy living life that then we don't often stop to think about life itself. And yet, the one through whom life itself was created, Jesus, he says to us, if you want to find life, if you want to understand life, if you want true life, follow me. So what I want to do uh, today on this, our Baptism Sunday, sing through those verses that was read out, uh, were read out for us in Matthew chapter 16 that Belinda read for us. Uh, because if those words of Jesus are true, which is what we just heard read out before, if they're true then what is at stake is your very life. And if those words of Jesus are true, then our baptizees, as we see them get baptized today, they are the wisest people for deciding to follow Jesus. So please make sure you've got your Bible there. Uh, we only teach what the Bible teaches in this church. Bibles are essential. Please, if you haven't got one, stick your hand up now. 
Uh, please, you need one in front of you. That way you know that this is what God says. It's not what the preacher man says. So if you need a Bible, put your hand up and, and Cam or someone will bring one to you. But in Matthew chapter 16, ha- have it open there. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, some very important things happened in that passage before the bit that was read out for us before. So just, just go back a little bit in Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 15. Have a look again. We only say what God teaches, what Jesus says. Look at verse 15. So Jesus asks his disciples there. He says to them, Who do you, who do you, my disciples, who do you say that I, Jesus, am? And then Peter answers, look at verse 16. Verse 16, Peter says, You, Jesus, are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And if you've been at church uh, this term, uh, you already know how important the idea of of the Messiah is in Matthew's gospel. Uh, The Messiah means that Jesus is God's promised king. The Messiah is the king that God had promised for centuries. And so for Peter to say this, this is huge. This is, this is a massive. We've got to try to get ourselves back in their context to understand how big a confession this is for Peter to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. See, at the time, Peter and his fellow Jews, they had been waiting thousands of years for this Messiah, for this king to come. That They'd been longing for him to come. And Peter is saying, He's here. We've been waiting for, for thousands of years. He's here. That the longing is over. The king has come. It's Jesus. It, it's kind of like us uh, today. Uh, you know, we, we long, if you're a Christian, we long for Jesus to come back. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for. We wait, we're waiting for him to come back and be with us. And imagine, uh, for an instance, that, that I declared, well, well, actually, Jesus is here. He, he's come back. He, he's here right now, the one we've been longing for, the one that we've waited thousands of years. He's here right now today. Uh, he's actually at the back. It's Cameron Noakes, uh, which would take quite some imagining because he doesn't look very Middle Eastern. <laughs> but but that's, that's the idea here. We, we, we just have to understand, for Peter to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, that is huge. It's a massive confession. But it's what Jesus then says that comes as a bit of a shock. Because look now at verse 21. Look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 21. He says, yes, you're right, Peter. He doesn't deny it. I am the Messiah. I'm the king. But look at the end of verse 21. Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the king. I will be killed. They will kill me. And again, we need to understand how massive it is for Jesus to say that. For for Peter and the Jews of that day, God's promised forever king and Messiah, for him to be killed, that is absurd. He can't be killed. He's the Messiah. Uh, for them, uh, you know, the king they were waiting for was kind of like a mix between Rambo with the brains of Einstein with the kind of political skills of Abraham Lincoln. That, that's who they were waiting for, that kind of figure. That the king was going to be this intelligent, politically savvy, military warrior. Uh, he was going to come to Jerusalem and, and make Israel great, you know, the, the Trump, but the one that gets it right, you know, let make, let's make Jerusalem great again sort of idea. Jerusalem, Israel was going to be the most powerful empire in the world because of this king. That's what they were waiting for. He can't die. What do you mean you'll be killed? That, that's what Peter believed. That's what the Jews of that day believed. And so look at verse 22, because look at what Peter does. Look at verse 22. Peter, he takes Jesus aside and says, Hey, Jesus, mate, come on. I think you're confused. That can't happen. You're not going to die. You're the Messiah. How can you be killed? You're here to do the killing of evil, not, not to be killed by evil. 
And it's at this point that Jesus then teaches his disciples and us today, for that matter, about life, about true life, about where life is truly found. So come with me now to the verses that were read out to us before from verse 24. And look at what Jesus says to us. And this is point one now on your outline, if you've got your outline there, deciding to follow Jesus. See, the first thing to notice in Jesus' words there is that this is an invitation. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, verse 24, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's an invitation. And it's for, those, it's for those who want to come to Jesus, right? It's for anyone who wants to come. You don't have to. It's an invitation. And it's for, it's for anyone. So this is, an, this is not an exclusive offer. It's literally for anyone. Anyone here today, for instance, regardless of your gender, your race, your background. Uh, in one sense, Jesus does not care less what you've done in your life previously if you want to come to him. This invitation, it's for anyone, no matter how bad you might think you are. No one is excluded but it's an all-in kind of invitation. It's a kind of invitation that should you say yes to Jesus, to his invitation, well then you're all in with him. It's a bit like a marriage proposal. So uh, 19 years ago, I proposed to my now wife, Emily. And when I did, when I said to her, Emily, will you marry me? Uh, she was very much aware of what her yes would mean. It means that, that she would throw her lot in with me. For her to say yes means we do life together. We're all in together uh, for the rest of our earthly lives. And uh, brave girl, she said yes. But, but this is, it's that kind of invitation. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You, you need to take up your, you know, your cross. And it's really clear what that means. It's, the cross, it's a symbol of actually you put your life to death. You die. You give up your life. That's the idea. You give your life to me, Jesus says. And so this invitation, it's not exclusive whatsoever. It's for anyone. Not exclusive at all. But to take up the invitation to say yes to Jesus means you give yourself exclusively to him. You're all in with him. He's your king. He's your Lord. He's your savior. He's your all. And that's what our baptizees, that's what they've decided. They've confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior and they promise to live their lives exclusively for him as their king. Now, some people might think, well, why, why, why would anyone do that? It's an invitation, right? You're free to do it. Why would anyone freely give their lives to someone else, exclusively to another? Why would you give your life to some man who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago and roamed the earth that day? Why would you give your life to him? That sounds absurd. Well, look at what Jesus says next. Look at verse 25. Why give your life to Jesus? Jesus says, verse 25, For because whoever wants to save his life will actually lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. You see, here's what we must understand. And here's what the baptizees have understood. Life it's not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about our humanity in general. See, life is ultimately about God. It's about the one who's created us. It's about the one who's made us to follow Jesus, his son. 
And the Bible is clear on this. God's word's clear on this over and over again. True life can never be lived or experienced or understood or enjoyed unless your life is given to Jesus. So this is the paradox that Peter didn't understand back in verse 22. You know, if you think that life is about this earthly and worldly life, then, then you don't understand life. And that's what Peter thought it was about. That's the paradox. See, true life, it's, it's actually found in saying no to life in this world, which is our next point. See, that, that's why Jesus rebuked Peter so sharply back in verse 23. See, Peter, he insisted to Jesus. He said, Jesus, you're God's king, you're Messiah. You could never possibly be killed. And Jesus says back to Peter, look at, look at the end of verse 23. Jesus says back to Peter, he says, no, no, the problem with you, Peter, is that you're thinking about earthly concerns. You're not thinking about God's concerns. You're too preoccupied with man's concerns, with the concerns of this world. Uh, how to live for the now, um, you know, how, how to accumulate more now, how, how to be comfortable now. But no, Peter, to live for this world... That is to forfeit the life that truly matters. And look, look at how Jesus explains it in verse 26. It couldn't be clearer. Look what he says, verse 26. This is how stark it is. Verse 26, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man, a person, a man or woman for that matter, give in exchange for his life? In other words, what good is it to gain the whole world which is impossible to do. None of us can gain the whole world. But imagine that you could for a moment. Imagine you gain the whole world. What good is that if in the process you actually forfeit life itself? You know, it's, it's, the all, it's the all too common story you hear about those who've achieved greatness in the world. Um, you know, if you listen to uh, autobiographies, if you listen to interviews, if you're you know, interested in the lives of the rich and famous, which... Uh, I'm not all that interested, if I must be honest. But if you, if you hear what they say about life, you, you hear them. And they'll say, that I, I got to the very top. I, I climbed every mountain there was to climb. I climbed the mountain that was on top of the other mountains. And I got to the top. And when I got to the top of the mountain, do you know what was there? Nothing. I got there to the top. And then I realized it was empty. Now, some of you might remember Boris Becker. He was a... Uh, Tennis superstar, a superstar in the 80s and 90s, and he once said this, it's up on the screen. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich, I had all the material possessions I needed, and yet it's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. And isn't that so often sadly true? And Boris, for instance, got to the top. And when he got to the top, he realized this is empty. I've given my life to this thing and it's, it's empty. I gained the whole world, so to speak. He was on top. And yet forfeited life itself. So I keep saying how huge a day today is, this Baptism Sunday day, uh, because it is. There are 14 people who have decided to say no to the world. 14 people who've decided to say yes to Jesus. 14 people who've found life, true life, in Jesus. And far from being foolish to give your life exclusively to this man who roamed the world in the Middle East 2,000 years ago named Jesus, it's the wisest decision you can ever make. And just in case you're not convinced, Jesus gives another reason why it is wise to say yes to him. See, look at verse 27 now. 
Look at what Jesus promises will happen. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, for the Son of Man, and that's, that's Jesus referring to himself. That's, that's a title about himself. So Jesus says, for the Son of Man, in other words, me, I am, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the future in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. And so Jesus, he clearly promises that one day he'll come back. And that day when he comes back, he'll welcome all those who decided to follow him into his new creation. He, he will reward them with eternal life because they decided to follow Jesus. And so he will give them eternal life. And we can be just as sure about that promise that Jesus makes there of eternal life as you can of Jesus' words back in verse 21. Because Jesus, back in verse 21, he says that he would be killed. And if you know your history, please, please don't think this is made up, you know, kind of uh, whispered stories that, that generated. Um, that, that's a very naive view. If, if you want to understand more about the Bible, come talk to me. It's, it's, it's a history book. We know Jesus said he would be killed and we know he was killed. Jesus said in verse 21 that he will rise again from the dead and we know that he did. Even historians who don't believe in Jesus go, well, there's this resurrection hole it seems to be he rose from the dead. We don't know what to do with it, but that seems to be what history says. You see, we can be just as sure of the promise that Jesus will come back as we can be of Jesus' words here that said, I will be killed and I will rise, and he was killed and he rose. Or we can be just as sure of that promise of Jesus of eternal life as we can in those words in verse 28. Because look at verse 28. See, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, You will see me coming with my kingdom. And they did. The disciples, they saw Jesus die on the cross. They saw him rise. They saw him ascend as king. And those disciples, for the remainder of their earthly lives, saw the kingdom of Jesus spread all over the Roman Empire, which was incredible in its day. And just, isn't it just the strangest thing? So strange that we are here. Just cast your mind to how weird this is. Humanly speaking, we are in Leppington, which is over 14,000 kilometers away from Jerusalem, the Middle East. Uh, it's 2,000 years away from the earthly life of this guy called Jesus, who, who roamed the earth 2,000 years ago. We are in Leppington, in the outskirts of Sydney, with, uh, out there at the front of our property with a pool full of water, about to baptize people as followers of Jesus. Isn't that strange? Isn't that the strangest thing? And yet, not so strange for the fact that Jesus said, no, his kingdom would spread. And here it is. You see, don't doubt for a second how great a day today is. Today we celebrate the 14 brothers and sisters who have decided to follow Jesus. It's the greatest and wisest decision one can ever make. There is only one man who is also God, one who died for the forgiveness of sins, one who rose from the dead never to die again, and one who offers true life to all of us, eternal life. See, we're right to follow him. Our brother Joshua in the video, the last video that was on, uh, Joshua's got the great Mo. <laughs> I did, when I saw the video, I'm like, did Joshua's Mo get like, even bigger? It's great. Uh, Josh, Josh said it so well. Joshua said it so well in the video. It, it can be a fearful thing to consider giving your life up to Jesus because it means you say no to stuff. Uh, 
I'm a church pastor. I talk to lots of people about Jesus. There's, there's a lot of people I've come across who are convinced about the idea of Jesus. They read the Bible. They, they understand the history of it. They think it makes sense. They understand and, and they, they don't deny that Jesus is the king. But they don't want to follow him because they don't want their life to change. Joshua is really helpful. People can be fearful in considering the, the losing of their life, saying no to the things of this world to give it over to Jesus. And Jesus in this passage, he does not sugarcoat it for a second. That's why Jesus says it's denying yourself and carrying your cross. Uh, any Christian you talk to will tell you it's not the easiest thing being a Christian. It can be hard. It's often hard. You, you give your life to Jesus. You make decisions that are sacrificial for him. You say no to the world. You say no to self. But again, like Joshua shared, and yet, besides all that, in coming to Jesus, you gain so much. You gain life, actually, and contentment and purpose and eternal life to come. And that day when Jesus comes back and he returns and all of us see him face to face, there is no one on that day who will not say, who decided for Jesus, who will not say it was worth it. Because it is. Uh, all week I've had that old uh, hymn in my head because it's kind of point one in the outline. But uh, you might remember that old hymn. Billy Graham used it a lot in the kind of crusades in the 60s and 70s. It's that, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Very simple hymn. Uh, it's been in my head all week. It might, might be in your head through this sermon. And uh, the words are up on the screen. It's, it's, again, it's a very simple hymn, a great hymn. Uh, widely uh, believed to have originated out of, um, out of India. And just got little refrains. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Though none go with me, I will still follow. There's no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. It's a great little hymn, but it forces you to ask the question, well, what have you decided? And I realize in a group this size, there will be some here who've not yet decided to follow Jesus. But the question is, will you? Will you decide to follow Jesus. Because the creator of the whole world says that your life is at stake. And I can assure you, you will make no greater decision. If you want to follow Jesus, will you let me know? Will, will, will you let the, the person who's getting baptized, who perhaps you've come to support today, know? Let someone know. It will be the most important conversation of your life, one that leads to true and eternal life. And like I said at the beginning, you know, it's a funny old thing, this thing we call life. We're so busy living it. We're so busy being in it that we never stop to think about it. We can be consumed by life. And next thing you know, you get towards the end of life and you haven't stopped to think about it and it's almost over. And yet the one through whom life was created, he says so clearly to us, Jesus says so clearly, if you want to find life, follow me. So will you follow him? Uh, one of the great things about this church is how many people come here wanting to hear about Jesus. So many people turn up uh, through our doors just because God sends them here to hear about Jesus. It's hugely encouraging. But one of the great opportunities of this church is for the members of this church to invite their friends and families and work colleagues and neighbors to come and hear about Jesus for themselves. Uh, next year, uh, we're doing something new as a church. Uh, a fresh look has been a great little course that we've used to help people explore Jesus. Uh, but we've realized as a church that we're not actually that great at inviting people to come hear about Jesus. We, we need people to hear. People 
do not know about life or true life without hearing about Jesus. And so next year, we'll, we'll be launching a new course simply called Life uh, as part of our church. And like I announced last week, uh, we have a new pastor joining us next year. He's still a mystery man at this point. Uh, I can't tell you exactly who he is at this point, but one of his main roles will be leading our new life course. And I'll share more about this in the coming weeks and months for those who are part of our church here. But one of the big things we will do as a church next year is launch life. Because people need to come and hear about Jesus. Because whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, for Jesus, will save it. They need to know. There is nothing more important than deciding for Jesus. But how can people decide if they've never heard about him? Uh, my, my wife, Emily, uh, she takes an SRE class, a scripture class, and she's been taking one at Leppington, a bunch of kindy kids. And she took a little kind of um, you know, basket with a baby in it, and she was doing the Christmas story, you know, baby Jesus and so on, and trying to get the kids to, to guess, who's the baby? You know, it's Christmas is coming up, and who might this baby be? You know, he's, he's a... He's a powerful baby. And you know, some said, like, oh, maybe he's Batman and you know, all those sorts of things. Not one kid said Jesus. Bunch of kindy kids. Not one kid said, oh, it's Christmas. Christmas is about baby Jesus. Not one kid. They haven't heard about him. Their parents then probably haven't heard about him. And that's just at the local public school. See, how can they decide for Jesus if we don't tell them? Wouldn't it be great next year, next year if we had not 14, but 40 baptizees? And why even stop at 40? How about I pray that thousands more might decide for Jesus and life in him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us in the darkness, not left us, in a sense, in the futility of this worldly life that promises so much, and at times seems perhaps to deliver so much, and yet often is so fleeting and results in nothing, that we can achieve so much and yet feel so empty. And that's because you've made us to live for Jesus, to find life in him. Father, we thank you for the baptizees today and their confession of Christ. But Father, we pray that as a church, we might share Jesus even more with people who desperately need to hear about the true life that's found in your son Jesus, to the praise of your glory. This we ask in his name. Amen.